All right. If you have your Bibles, you can make your way to Psalm 3. Just a, a, a little introduction for you. If, if you're a guest with us, um, we have a, a mobile app that you can find on your phone, which has um, the, some, some sermon nurse notes to follow along. If you like to, to fill in blanks, then, then that's your way to go. Um, you, can, you can find it there, you can download it, and we'll assume if you're looking at your phone that you're following along. And apparently there's a new feature where you get to, it tells you the right answer, so you don't just have to guess, which that means some of you are going to put in the wrong answer just to get the right answer, but be patient and just we'll, we'll work through it together. Um, so, because I know some of you want that quick gratification that our society has trained us for, but wait and be patient and it will come in due time. Um, we, we have been... Last week we started uh, a, a little mini-series for the fall, going through selected psalms that we find. And, and we're, we called this series the language because, and, and talking about language, because we, we get in the psalms a language that, that gives us the words to our relationship with God. And, and what's interesting about psalms is so often, though, that language, it takes us to places that we don't want to go. It takes us to areas in our hearts that we usually wall off, and it brings up and stirs up emotions that, that so many times we find that we don't really want to address because then we have to be honest about who we are in, in, in our relationship. And so we, we kind of get that today. We get to this understanding of this language through adversity, that when adversity is happening, and we all encounter adversity at different times, what is the language that we should use as we approach God through adversity, through hardships, through, through rough times? And, and we get that language in, in reading David's words in Psalm 3. This is the first psalm of the 150 that is attributed to a, a certain author, which is King David. But what's interesting, too, is this is also given as a specific time period that we know that the background to Psalm 3. And so tonight, or this afternoon, I encourage you, read 2 Samuel 15 through 18. Because what's happening in the background that sets us up for this is this was written out of maybe directly in, or David looking back on the time when Absalom, which was his favorite son, his most beloved son, was actually trying to overthrow him and kill him to take over his kingdom. And so that's the, that's the adversity that David was facing that led him to write this, and the Spirit inspired him to write this. So if you will, follow along with me. We're going to read Psalm 3, all eight verses of it. And so in, in Psalms 3, verse 1, it says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head, I cried aloud to you, Lord, to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me for my God, O oh my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Pray with me as we ask the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, I just pray as we read these passionate words 
of your servant David, God, that, that they would mirror our hearts. God, that when we face adversity the same, God, that this would be a language of satisfaction in you. God, it would be a language of an awareness that you and you alone sustain us despite what happens in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, when, when you see that, you, you get this idea of emotion, right? That you can see that, that he's emotional. And there's, there's often times where we can focus too much on emotion and we kind of lose a grounding. But I think often, if, if we're honest, we try to push emotion out of our relationship with God. And that's why it's, it's, it's good to pick up the Psalms. It's pick up to, to, to understand that it's okay to be emotional and connected because our lives are driven through our emotions, right? That, that you wake up and how you wake up determines a lot of times the, the trajectory of your day. I, I talk about it all the time with, with Kelby. Like she wakes up happy. And I don't know how. Like she can be completely asleep. I sit down on her bed. If it even takes that, a lot of times just walking in, she wakes up and she's happy, like immediately. And, and immediately, sometimes you're like, well, what's wrong? Like there's no way she's really, but she's just happy. That's just what happens, and so then the start of her day is always good because that's who she is. But then on the other hand, you have people that wake up, and you're like, no, right? But then it takes you even more to get going, and it's not the coffee that picks you up. It's just that life continues to go, right? That life continues to happen, and so you have to. And that's why David's example here is so beneficial because it's an emotional yet honest response to adversity that he's facing. That, that so many times we are emotional or we're dishonest about what happens. And here with David, we find both merged together in a beautiful expression of what he was happening, what was happening in his life. And if we're honest, if we asked ourselves, how do you respond to adversity? Most of the time, it's not very positive. Right? Then when adversity happens, our immediate response is never a positive response. But what's interesting is you see this progression that we should have as Christians in this psalm that David guides us on that we can then do. Because if we're honest, we start like him, right? We start with this idea that we're lost in fear. And look at, look at verse 1 again. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Like, there's this fear about what's happening in his words, and he's lost in that. Like, he, he doesn't know what to do through that. How many are my foes? But what happens, just like David, when we start out and we focus on our fear, we're lost on our fear, the only thing that we see is the negative aspect of our life at that time. And that's what David's saying. He says, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. He's only thinking about the negative aspect, not the fact that there were still thousands that went with him. That there were still thousands that said, we'll follow you because you're the anointed king. And they left Jerusalem with him. As Absalom was taking over, David leaves People come with him. And, and he forgets the fact that even, and if you go back and read this story in 2 Samuel, you'll see that he sent people back that didn't want to go. And he says, no, go. That way you can help direct things since I'm not there. But he doesn't, right? He focuses and he's lost on the fear of how many are against me. Look at all of these people who are rising up against me. And so often we do the same thing. But that's what fear does. That's what fear does. It grips us. It controls us. And, and really, you can, I can really think of three things that, that really magnify this within what fear does is it paralyzes us, it magnifies 
the, what's happening, and then it also distorts our reality. When we look at that, you can see this happen, that, that fear paralyzes us. We don't know what to do because we feel that anything we will do will make it worse, right? That if, that if you have this adversity, if someone's coming after you, they're going against you, or, or something just crazy in your life, that, that we get paralyzed by fear, and then the fear is saying that if we do anything, we're only going to make it worse, or we're only going to prolong what's happening. So we're, we're paralyzed by this fear. Instead of rationally looking at the reality of our situation, we get paralyzed in our imagination of what's actually happening. Because fear paralyzes, and that can paralyze us emotionally. And so if you're, if you're in that, if that's you sitting there now, just crazy things are happening, adversity is happening, maybe family or friends are coming against you, and you're like, what's going on? Then, then you might be in this state of being paralyzed emotionally. And when that happens, you wall yourself off. You don't let people in. You don't listen to other people, even if they are friends, because if I allow that to happen, then something else can get worse. You're paralyzed in your fear emotionally because this is what's happening, and you're only focused on that. You're only focused on the reality that you're seeing, which oftentimes is not rational. But it's not only paralyzing emotionally, it's paralyzing physically. You may not be emotionally walled up, but physically you don't want to get out of bed. Because you're paralyzed by the fear of what's happening, being caused at the adversity that you face. And so you don't even go out of your house. You don't even want to engage in anyone. Because you're paralyzed in a fear. And then sometimes if it gets worse, it's both. That you're emotionally walled off, you're emotionally paralyzed, and then you don't even want to engage in the world. You just want to withdraw. You want to stay there. But that is not the reality of a Christian if we're rational. We don't have to be paralyzed by our fear, but if we're only looking like David does it, look at all these people who are around me. Look at all these people who are rising up against me. Then we're going to continue to be paralyzed in our fear, emotionally, physically, or both, and then that prevents us from growing and moving forward. We're stuck in that cycle, and the reason we get stuck in that cycle is because then that fear paralyzing us, then it magnifies what's happening. You see this best with anxiety. And, and, and that's what I learned about myself when, when I found that, that all of a sudden I had this random anxiety that was, that was walling up inside of me that I never had to dealt with before over the last year of my life. It was just crazy. But what I had to understand is that it was an irrational fear based on the imagination that I presumed of my reality. For me, it was health. Like, what if I had cancer? Well, sitting there being paralyzed by the anxious fear was only magnifying the thought that I really don't know. But rational people don't think that way, right? You're, you're stuck in fear because it was magnifying. And that's where David's getting, look at how many are rising against me. It's like you can see him picturing more and more people just jumping on Absalom's bandwagon, going against him. And so when fear has gripped us, it's always the worst case scenario, right? You can think about a time when you've lived through adversity and you were paralyzed by fear. There's nothing that has ever come that's that bad and there's no way anything could ever amount to that. It's always the worst case scenario when you're gripped by fear because fear paralyzes you emotionally and physically and it also magnifies the reality of what you're dealing with. David wasn't looking at all who had come with him. 
but those who had not were magnified in his eyes, and his fear was welling up inside of him. But then that leads us to the byproduct of the magnification, and that it distorts our reality. It distorts primarily our identity. If you have submitted your life to Christ, and you find yourself in adversity, you find things happening, maybe you're anxious continually, then what you end up seeing is the fact that so often it's your identity as a follower of Christ, your identity as an heir to God that's distorted. You forget the fact that your identity is in Christ. And that's exactly what we see David. He's starting to believe the lies. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation in him, in God. Now think about that for a second. That David, many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. David, the man after God's own heart, the one who stood up, took off Saul's armor and faced Goliath is saying that uh, he's starting to believe that they're saying, well, if he's been cast out, then God is not with him. And how could you, could you ever think of a time where David, experiencing the faithfulness of God has, that he, that he has, is sitting here saying that, that many are saying this. Like you see, he's getting lost, but what's happened is his identity in Christ or his identity as God's faithful servant has been distorted because of the fear of the adversity that's happening in his life. And how quickly we forget our identity as well. And so often it's easily forgotten because we want to be in charge, right? We, we see adversity, and what's the first thing we do? Well, what are we taught to do? You face it. You go conquer it. You figure out that, 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 that what you need to do to overcome it. And, and really, that's a distortion of your identity because you're believing the fact that you can actually overcome your adversity. But we can't because most of the time, they're somehow related within our lives how we're part of the problem. Not always, but a lot of times. And so we try to take charge, and so we forget our identity as being submissive to Christ in our lives to overcome everything. But if it's not that you want to be in charge that distorts your identity, a lot of times it's that you want to blame God. Because then all of a sudden God is to blame for your problems. And so that distorts your identity of who you are in Christ because if you're forgetting who he is as the faithful creator, provider, sustainer of you. And so your identity is distorted because you're going to blame God for all your problems and you're going to sit there frozen in your fear, emotionally withdrawn because God has caused this to happen. There's nothing that I can do. In reality, you're forgetting that, no, you're a child of God. So we need to follow David's example. And when we're lost in our fear, we have to get to the point where we remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. And if you continue looking, we see that, that David remembers God's faithfulness. Look at verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. We see, you can see a switch, right? You can kind of see this emotional change. And what he's doing is he's recalling on the faithfulness of God. And so if fear is so detrimental to our lives as Christian, how do we overcome it? Right? If you're sitting there right now listening to me, you're like, well, that's easier said than done. How do you actually wake yourself out of that? Because if you're hurting right now, if you're anxious, if people are rising up against you, which is all possible, and, and probably even in a small church like ours, that everyone is facing this on some level at some time, how do you overcome it when you just simply are told, remember God's faithfulness? 
Because so often, it's a legitimate cause that, that's creating our fear. Right? David, he had a legitimate reason to be fear, fearful, right? His, his son is trying to overthrow him and kill him. That's a legitimate reason to be afraid. The difference is he was focused on it so much so that it was distorting his reality. And so often we do that. Some, we have opportunities to fear that you would look at people's lives and say, that's a legitimate reason. The difference is, are you going to stay there and allow that fear to paralyze you emotionally and physically and magnify your problems and distort your identity? Or are you going to remember your identity by remembering God's faithfulness? Because that's what David starts to do. So right now, if you're sitting there thinking, but there's no way that I can overcome this. Or it's not there's no way that I can overcome this or there's no way that anyone else can help me. What you have to realize that both of those are true, but they're based on paralyzing fear. There is nothing that you can do oftentimes to overcome. There is no one here that can help you, but there is one who has done so much for you, and that's how you overcome your fears. You remember the faithfulness of God. You look through the lens of the gospel at your life, and that allows you then to move forward and keep growing despite adversity. Instead of looking at the situation through the magnified, distorted view of fear, you realize who you are in Christ. You remember the faithfulness of God, and that lifts you above that and allows you somehow to walk forward in it. So what is our proper response? First, we have to realize our situation. Right? You have to be honest about your situation because if we're honest, so many times people cry persecution in our society who are not experiencing persecution. What's being persecuted is nominal Christianity, and so we look at that and we lash out and think, well, how can this happen? It's not true persecution because we're not being honest about our situation. And the reality for most of us, when we hear someone cry that they're being persecuted in our culture, it's their comfortable nominal Christianity that's being taken out. It's not true persecution that's experienced by the global church. And so we have to be honest about our situation because sometimes we look at our situations through the magnified, distorted lens of fear and we cry that it's so crazy, that woe is me, there's nothing I can do. In reality, you just need to grow up and deal with it. Because so many times we allow ourselves to forget the fact that we're not the worst case scenario of everyone that we know. And to understand that, we have to be honest. We have to be realized, truly realize your situation. And that might mean that it's legitimate. That might mean that there's legitimately something come against you. But so many times we have people in the church that their bad situation is because they make poor choices. It's not because of anyone else. And so if it's your poor choice or your continuation to live in sin or outside of what God has called you to do, you're the reason your life is bad. It's not other people. So don't make it into any more than it is. But if it is a legitimate situation, what do you do? You remember who the Lord is. It's exactly what David does. Look at, look at what he says. Look at what he says. He says first, what, in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. If you have a different version, it might say that covers me. He's a shield that covers me, and I love the way he starts here, because if you look back in Genesis 15, this is what Abraham was told, that, that God would be his shield. And so you see David looking back at this time where he's 
covered in fear. Craziness is happening. He's experiencing something that most of us never will. And he says that you are my shield that's about me. So he's recalling a promise of God who was faithful to Abraham that in David's time was so far gone, it took faith to believe that God was Abraham's shield. Just like right now, we look back and can see David and then before him, Abraham, that God was a shield that covered him. We have to remember who the Lord is. But not only was he a shield, he was our glory. He's David's glory, right? The shield about me, my glory. So everything about David rested in the fact that he had glory because of God in his life. And not only was he transcendent above us, not only is he transcendent above us, but he's what? He is the lifter of our head. Verse 3 is a perfect example of how we start to respond in adversity. The Lord is a shield covering us that's about us, that he is our glory and he is the lifter of our head. He is our sustainer. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. So not only is he our shield, our glory, the lifter of our heads, but he is our rescuer because he answers us. And if you look at this and you realize what David is saying here, it's an amazing realization because David had been removed from God's holy hill, right? He had fled Jerusalem. He had, fret, he had fled where God had established him on his mountain. And so he's saying that even though I'm not here, you hear me from your holy hill and you answer me. So even when he's far away, even in your life when you see that God and you feel that God is not there, he answers you from here. The distance is covered by his faithfulness. And not only that is he lifted up because he is elevated on his holy hill. His righteousness is far above us. God is always high and lifted up. It's an amazing realization. And what David is doing is he's reminding himself of God's faithfulness, that he realized the situation, he knows what's happening, and he's responding accordingly, because in verse 6 and 7, we understand how we can stand firm. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people. It's kind of a change from verse 1, right? It's the exact same crowd, except through the lens of a gospel awareness, or a remembering the faithfulness of God, that I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. They've surrounded him. And then what? Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all the enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. We respond accordingly after we remember who the Lord is because we say we will not fear. And we will not fear. Why? Because God will save. And that salvation is in God alone. We can't go to anyone to save us. Yet God already sent the one who can. So the only way to walk out of a once paralyzing fear is to remember who God is and to be reminded of his faithfulness. Because if you look back at redemptive history, one thing is clear, that people through their sinful nature completely run away and God is continually faithful to save his own. So it doesn't matter what's going on. If we're honest about our situation, we realize what's happening, and it's a legitimate situation, then remind ourselves that God is faithful. He is our shield. He's our glory. 
He's a lifter of our head. Because see, what's amazing, if you look at verse 5 again, I lay down and sleep and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Have you ever been facing something to where you're like, don't want to go to bed because you know when you wake up, you'll have to face it? right? That you know, maybe it's the the night before something significant, and it's really not going to go your way, and you know that, and so you just don't want to wake up, right? You're just like, if I don't go to sleep, then I don't have to wake up and face this. That's exactly what I think David's saying here. The difference is, though, when he wakes up, he doesn't say, man, I have to face that. He says, man, look what the Lord has done. He's given me another day. He sustained me because he's faithful, So instead of letting fear paralyze us, thinking, I can't wake up and face this, say, I did wake up so I can face this because he is faithful to rescue me. The fact that we have breath is evidence of God's faithfulness in our lives to save us. So fear doesn't paralyze. It frees because we are driven to the only provider of salvation. So when your family or friends attack you, they're causing real pain, they're causing real hurt, they're causing real doubt, then remember that God hears your cry and answers you. That when you cry out to Him, He hears you. And so when anxiety is beginning to crush you, and it feels there's nothing that you can do, that everything that you think is the worst case scenario because you're anxious about everything. And one level of anxiety leads to anxiety and something else. When that happened, remember that the Lord is your shield that covers you. That when those attacks and those temptations happen, you have a covering that is the Lord our God. And when your daily life seems like it's more than you can bear, remember the fact that you're awake, which is an evidence of God's sustaining power in your life our world can't offer anything that we can't walk through because God will pull us through because God sustains us the question is are we okay with how he provides are we okay with the life that we have saying that this is all I need if I have Christ because when we do we realize the final piece of the puzzle in this language through adversity, and that's that we need a proper understanding of salvation. So we remember, as does David, which Derek Kinder in his commentary describes it perfectly, that we, without the Lord, there is no salvation. Do we understand that? Because that's the proper posture in salvation, is realizing that without the Lord, salvation is not possible. Without the Lord, there is no hope which is why the world tries and cannot provide it. Yet how often do we believe the opposite? How often are you told that there is hope if you'll just live a better life or just be a good person? If you just help other people? Well, if you're helping other people, not understanding that that's a gospel awareness because Christ has helped you, then it's not going to provide you hope. You're going to keep having to go more and more and more. But we have so many people in the church that are addicted to mission, and they just have to keep getting more and more and more, and the whole time they're really just looking for the sustaining power of Christ in their life because they don't have a proper understanding of salvation. So how can we find confidence in the middle of fear and adversity? We remember God's faithfulness, and we have a proper understanding of salvation, which is that God alone saves us, 
that, that God alone scatters our enemies, right? What a wonderful thing. We don't have to fight our battle because God scatters the enemies. And not only that, he does, well, I love this. He, what? he breaks the teeth of the wicked. Like, you have to be beat down to get your teeth broken, right? Let me think about that. That's not a, oh, he just breaks. No, that's, that's condemnation. That's judgment. That's authority that he breaks the teeth of the wicked. He doesn't just kind of deal with them because, oh, well, they're not that bad. He crushes them. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. God alone breaks the wicked, and God alone saves us, and God alone is our blessing. Therefore, we find assurance in the midst of doubt through a proper realization that salvation belongs to God alone. And that's confident despite anything that's happening. That's confidence to stand firm. That's confidence to step out of the paralyzing fear that might be enveloping you and remember God's faithfulness because He alone saves you. That He alone sustains you. And, it, and on some level, there's probably some of you that are still sitting there thinking, that seems so unsatisfying as a way to deal with my problems. And that doesn't help and there's even some of you that are probably taking the step that that's an easy way out for the pastor to just say, trust the Lord. Right? Because then you don't have to get dirty. But it's the reality that we see. How else did David end up with salvation belongs to the Lord? Yet, he, by remembering the salvation belongs to the Lord. So when your problems are crazy, don't say that doesn't help, that doesn't seem satisfying. But know this, that if you're not a follower of Christ, if you haven't submitted your life there is no satisfaction for you. There is nothing for you to gain hope in because you're lost in your sin. And so you're sitting there, well, adversity is happening. Well, what you need to do is submit your life to the one who offered his. That's when you find salvation. That's when you find hope despite adversity. That doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden have this magical life. And in many ways, it makes it worse because you become more aware of the evidence of sin in your life. But yet, we're reminded of God's faithfulness. So know this, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't submitted your life, there's nothing that will truly sustain you, though the world offers many options. And if that is you, as a Christian, sitting there thinking that that's not going to help, or that's not really satisfying now, the only way you can look at your problem and come away thinking about God's faithfulness is to actually look at his faithfulness. And most of the time we can't because when our fear paralyzes us, the first thing, first thing that we withdraw from is God. Because how could he love me and let this happen? And so many times I've talked to people whose life is crazy whether it's their fault or someone else's, and they don't seek the Lord. They don't remember His faithfulness, yet they just want it fixed. There is no fix apart from salvation belongs to God. So the fear of your problem won't go away. The fear that, that everything is happening is not going to go away until you turn and repent and see that God alone is faithful. Either way, Jesus Christ alone can carry our burdens. 
Well, we help each other as the church. We walk alongside one another. But what you have to do, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with adversity, you have to surround yourself with gospel people. You have to surround yourself with people that are going to give you a solution that involves seek the Lord daily. Go to Him. That, that I can't solve your problems, but He can. That I can't sustain you and walk alongside you faithfully, continually, all the time, yet you have something better because His Spirit lives inside of you. Surround yourself with gospel people. Seek the Lord. And then listen to those people who God has placed in your life. If they're speaking the gospel. So if you're sitting there in adversity and you can't function in life because you're paralyzed by fear, surround yourself with gospel people. Seek the Lord daily. And then listen to what He is teaching you. And then listen to those who are faithful and have lived through it. The problem in all of that is that we're still dominated by fear so often. And that fear comes out of an arrogance of allowing other people to speak into our lives. So as we finish today, if you're facing adversity, if you're paralyzed in your fear, if everything's magnified and you feel like everything is out of control and your identity in Christ is completely distorted and you don't even feel like he's in your life, remember that you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That you did not give us, that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and self-control. Therefore, we can stand confidently and confidently declare that salvation belongs to the Lord. That, that His people are the ones who have received His blessing. So, when you, if that's you in fear, remind yourself that a fear that comes from the world is not where you have to remain. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And we're blessed because of that salvation. And so we stand firm, we walk strong and confident, not because we're capable, but because He sustains us, that He lifts our heads, that He scatters our enemies, that He breaks the teeth of the wicked. So remind yourself of the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord. And if you have that salvation, through understanding what Jesus Christ did for you, then you are truly blessed beyond compare. Let's pray. Father, just, God, just thank you that you've given us a language of how to respond in adversity. God, in a world that offers trouble and fear, God, I thank you for the joy of having your word to sustain us. God, I thank you that we don't have to remain paralyzed in fear, emotionally or physically. God, but we can remember your faithfulness. That we can look all the way back throughout redemptive history and know that you have been faithful to save your people and bless them. God, I just pray that the, the cry of our hearts would be an acknowledgement that salvation indeed is from you alone and that you bless your people whom you save through your Son. Amen.